You're listening to Up to the Mic. If you want to learn about the struggles and triumphs of starting a business, performing for sold-out arenas, or inspiring those you lead, Up to the Mic is the show for you. Throw on some headphones and get ready to listen as our host, Vinny Hale, sits down to showcase the stories of those who deserve their stories be told. From young entrepreneurs to critically acclaimed musicians and so much more, Vinny helps compile a season of interviews that inspire listeners to follow in the footsteps of his guest. My next guest is the co-founder of the Troxel Fitch Law Firm based in Denver, Colorado. As a former college football player, he was always determined to succeed, whether on the field or off. After his time on the field ended, he attended the University of Colorado Law School, where he would meet his best friend and business partner, Joshua Fitch. Over the past few years, the two of them have been able to build a successful and thriving business that helps bridge the gap between cookie-cutter law firms of the past and the tech-enabled startups of the future. Please welcome my next guest, Nick Troxel. Welcome back to another episode of Up to the Mic, everybody. I am so happy that you're listening in for this episode because we have a fantastic one in store for you. Nick Troxel is here, and correct me if I'm not pronunciating it correctly, um, but Nick, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks for being on an episode. Absolutely, yeah. Thanks for having me, and you said it exactly right. So Perfect, perfect. Well, um, like I said earlier, I appreciate the time. I want to make sure that we dive into everything it is that you want to share with our listeners today. But before we dive into what it is you're up to these days, I know my listeners have heard me say it a hundred times. Let's jump back to the beginning and maybe tell us a little bit about your upbringing, what your time growing up was like, and then we'll build into uh, what you're up to these days. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm originally from Lincoln, Nebraska. I grew up, uh, you know, in, in Lincoln, if you ever, if you've ever been, it's, uh, you know, it's a city in the middle of a lot of cornfields, but, um, you know, grew up out there. My folks were always big on uh, education and, and committing to, to being educated. Um, I played football most of my life. I always had dreams of playing for the Cornhuskers. Um, I ended up having a string of injuries towards the end of high school, um, where I then went and played at a, a smaller school for one year in college. Kept getting injured and had had one of those moments any athlete has where they look in the mirror and it's like, well, you know, you're probably not going to the NFL. So time to uh, uh, angle this drive and this um, dedication to something else. And I remember literally the day that I got, I ruptured the disc in my back and that was the last injury to, to have me kind of hang them up. I literally sat down and it was like, hey, I knew I, I work best shooting for really lofty goals. And so at that point I knew, hey, you know, I'm going to be either a doctor or a lawyer. Well, I couldn't be a doctor because I, I am so afraid of needles. I like pass out every time I get my blood drawn. So uh, it, it seemed the obvious choice to uh, to to go to go for law, um, especially you know my my grandfather was an attorney in in a small town in Nebraska. He passed before I ever met him, uh, but he actually passed while my mom was in law school. Um, she didn't end up finishing. Uh, it was just a little bit too too tough for her after that happened but it was it was kind of in the family in a way so um you know started shooting for that and um sat down and i looked and said hey you know w what's the number one law school in the in the country and i saw that it was yale and that day i just set the goal of hey i'm gonna go to yale law school um kind of knowing full well that 
I wouldn't actually go to Yale because people usually don't get into Yale Law School just deciding on a whim one day. And, <laughs> and you know, people who haven't this haven't actually worked towards that for years and years and years. Um, but I set, like I said, I set that as the goal because I figured if I worked hard enough in terms of grades, in terms of getting my LSAT score up, um, that that I would end up somewhere good. Um, and so I had been playing football, like I said, at a small private Lutheran college in Seward, Nebraska, uh, which is actually my mom's hometown. So it's kind of weird, but um, I transferred back to University of Nebraska. Um, and, and my plan was to get a degree, a business degree, and then uh, use that to, to then go to law school. But I always knew, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, so kind of the plan was, hey, get a, get a business degree, go to law school, work in big law for a while, and then um, open some type of business. And so when I transferred back to University of Nebraska, that was really the first time I had ever put my focus towards academics. I'd always been pretty smart, but I hadn't really cared to put in the extra work. Honestly, I was focused more on sports and just other things. Um, in that first year at UNL, I got straight A's and I was kind of like, hey, I, I could do this. Um, and, and I actually ended up switching my degree to accounting. Uh, it seemed a little bit more specialized. And um, yeah, I, 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 had, I had thoughts of doing the CPA at one point either. But <laughs> so I ended up, yeah, I ended up getting straight A's through the rest of undergrad, doing accounting. And towards the end of my undergrad at University of Nebraska, um, I met a professor there named Sam Nelson, who is big in the entrepreneurial space. He runs the Entrepreneurship Center at University of Nebraska. Um, and, and a lot of the stuff he was talking about really resonated with me. He convinced me to, to take part in a, a business pitch competition at the University of Nebraska my senior year. Um, it was the, the idea I actually pitched my first kind of business pitch competition. Um, it was revolutionizing pre and post workout nutrition with, with cannabis, um, like protein shakes with CBD in it and things like that. Um, obviously this was over 10 years ago. So this was really right as marijuana was starting to get legalized and things like that. So it was such a, um, it, it, there, it was tough to do a business pitch competition with something that wasn't, you know, it had just become legal. So this is 2014, Colorado and Washington had just legalized. And so it was so speculative because, you know, how do you do numbers and things like that? But anyways, ended up getting, you know, almost winning the competition. I made it to the finals. Um, and so that was really, you know, I bring that up to really to just say that really, was what really pushed me more of, hey, this wasn't now just thinking of entrepreneurship as as kind of an idea. This was, hey, I really sat down and was like, hey, this is the plan. This is what we could do. This is, you know, how we could expand it, things like that. Um, and so that really drove home what I wanted to, you know, the, the same thought of wanting to be an entrepreneur. And so at that point, it was kind of right around the same time that I was looking to um, decide which law school I wanted to go to. Um, I, throughout undergrad, I, I, I kind of settled on that. I really wanted to go to USC, Southern California or UCLA. Um, I really wanted to move to LA. Um, I had these ideas of being, you know, a big Hollywood lawyer and then being able to be a, uh, entrepreneur after that, which is hilarious to think of now because I'm, you know, a guy from Lincoln, Nebraska, I probably would have hated LA. Um, but, um, 
you know, so, so it's actually interesting at the last minute, uh, my mom convinced me to apply to a school that was a, within a day's drive to Lincoln. Every other school I applied to was like, you know, USC, UCLA, everything in California and on the coast, University of Virginia. Um, and, uh, so last minute I had had some buddies move to Denver and I said, well, I'll, I'll apply to see you. You know, that's a day's drive away. My uncle lived out here. I had some buddies and, um, so I applied to all these schools and then it was actually interesting. I mean, classic 22 year old, right? I guess I was 21 even at the time when I was graduating and had already applied to all the law schools had already, you know, started to get acceptance letters and things like that. And I was like, well, you know, I, I think I need to find myself. I don't think I'm ready to just go back into more school. I need to figure out what I want to do. Um, and so I actually applied to join the Peace Corps. Um, and I was like, wow, maybe I'll join the Peace Corps. Maybe I'll go teach English on some remote island or something like that. Um, and so, you know, my dad sat me down. He was like, hey, you know, we support you 100% if you want to do this. But you should probably go at least visit some of these law schools, right? This was kind of your, your goal from the beginning. Um, you know, it was a little bit of the implication of like, Hey, we'll support you, whatever, but, but not if you're just sitting on the couch and right? like, you've done too much, you've succeeded too much to just, um, not do something with it. And so I, uh, I, I came to see you and, uh, anybody who's ever been to Colorado could relate. You know, it was a late April, early May day, mid seventies, not a cloud in the sky, sunny. And when you're, when you're driving into Boulder, um, there, you're on the road that goes into Boulder, you kind of hit the top of a hill and then it opens up and you see Boulder sitting in the flat, you know, in the, in the mountains below. And, um, Oh man, it was a perfect day. I'll tell you what, that and the combination of seeing that view and the day and meeting with people, you know, I actually met my law partner at that admitted students day. They sat us next to each other um, at the table with a guy named Brent Bernthal, who's a professor at University of Colorado Law School, who heads the entrepreneurial kind of focus of, of CU Law. And so the the three of us sat together and it was actually funny because Josh and I, we didn't really like each other that day. We were kind of two alpha dogs coming in like, ah, oh, who's this guy? Um, and, uh, but we sat with Brad, he was big on entrepreneurship. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of joke, it's like that trip, you know, I, I found myself cause I remember coming home, uh, I remember where, where was, I? I remember going to the Denny's in Boulder with my dad. For the visit, I was like, I, I'm going. I'm going to go for this. I'm going to. I'm going to go to CU. Um, and then, th so throughout CU, you know, I my interest in entrepreneurship intensified. But I thought I could scratch that itch by working with entrepreneurs at a big law firm. Um, and so I was really gung ho about, hey, I'm going to go work for a big law firm. I'm going to make money. Um, and I did well in law school. Um, you know wasn't like number one in the class, but I was in the top, you know, I think I was 16th in the class or something like that. And so towards the end of law school, I interviewed with the the firm that I had really wanted to to work for. I had made inroads there. I had, had you know, I had, had great grades and, and I really thought it was a shoe in um, and, and I did the interview the day after graduation and I never heard back. Nobody ever told me yes, no, nobody responded to the emails. And so, um, for people who aren't familiar with the law school process, you graduate law school and then you study for about 12 weeks. 
to, for the bar exam, you take the bar exam, then you have about two months that you wait for your results and then you get your results and then you have another month before you get sworn in. So it's certainly not like, Hey, you graduate and you're a lawyer, right? There's many steps to it. So at the time, I didn't really have much time to think about, Hey, why aren't they contacting me? You know, what I, my sole focus was kind of on, Hey, you got to study for the bar exam and pass it because if you, you know, if you don't pass it, it doesn't really matter if you don't have a job, if, if you aren't a licensed attorney. Um, but so after I studied for the bar, I still hadn't heard back. Um, and, and, um, you know, I was feeling it was an interesting time, right? Because it was a time where I made the biggest achievement of my life. I'm, I'm, I'm achieving these goals that I had set out to take, right? I, I graduated law school. I took the bar. I passed it. But I was interviewing for jobs and, and, you know, I felt nothing really sparked that passion. Nothing made me feel, um, made me feel alive in purpose, right? It was just kind of like, oh man, this, why do I feel kind of lost when I just had such a great achievement? Um, and I think back on that, it's really was such a blessing in disguise because I think that my life, Post football was always, hey, like do well in college, go to a good law school, go to a good law school, everything will kind of make sense. Um, and I think, you know, anybody who's lived life will tell you it kind of never really makes sense necessarily. You're kind of all figuring out as you go. Um, so it was such a blessing in disguise because I was really able to assess what I wanted out of my life, what I wanted, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. And, you know, I looked at a lot of these big firm attorneys and, you know, it's great for some people, but, you know, a lot of those guys and gals are miserable. They don't have hobbies. They are slaves to the billable hour. Um, and I knew that I didn't want that. You know, I come from a big family. We always have Sunday dinners together with, you know, my mom comes from a family of five and Seward, Nebraska, all their sisters still live in Lincoln. So we'd have big Sunday dinners. Family was always very important, living life, traveling, having hobbies, you know, making it so that you're working towards building a life worth living was always a big emphasis in my childhood and things like that, being happy. And I think for people who have started making real money, they could relate to the sentiment that, you know, making good money is actually a lot easier than, um, all necessarily like finding consistent happiness in life, right? And so you start thinking about, hey, like, how do you build your life to be a happy and fulfilling life where you're also at it, you know, compensated adequately, things like that. So for me, I, I went back to my roots, you know, I remember talking to my mom and she was like, well, you know, why are you stressing about these firms? You came into law school wanting to be an entrepreneur. What happened with that? And so it was actually... Uh, sadly, um, my, 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 so Josh and I, Josh Fitch, my law partner now, we were roommates, um, uh, throughout loss, throughout the last two years of law school. Um, yeah, I, let me just touch on that real quick. So we actually ended up then meeting the first day of orientation. Um, once we had both decided we were going to law school, we, uh, they, the first day of orientation, they basically sit everybody down and say, Hey, you know, 60% of you are going to be drug addicts and depressed and suicidal because the rates for attorneys are just, are that high. A lot of unhappy attorneys. And it was a, it was a total fucking bummer, man. It was, it was not a exciting way to start law school. And I remember leaving that orientation and we walked out into the courtyard and we kind of saw each other 
and remembered each other from from admitted students day. I was like, oh man, that was a bummer. Let's like, let's go grab a beer. This is we're you know that this isn't for us. Like the being bummed out and things like that. It was like, hey, that that might be for some people. And so we really bonded over that right away. And 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 Josh Fitch, yeah. So Hickey and I, we ended up uh, being roommates our second year of law school with our other good friend Omar Harris. And then Omar moved it out and in with his now wife for that third year. But, but Josh and I were still living together. Um, and just became really, really close. Um, and so again, now we're fast forwarding back to this part where, where I'm thinking, uh, you know, we're graduating, you know, really, really sad. It was a really sad, uh, moment, really close to graduation. Uh, Josh learned that his brother had died. Um, and so for him, he started this path early and I always say this, right? It's like all the success we've had, you know, we've, we've really built something great at this point, but it was really Josh who initially had both the courage to dive in and the faith and belief in me to push me to do it. Um, and kind of reveal to me the, the strength that I had within and the, the, you know, re- kind of revealed me to myself. Because when that happened, when his brother died, he basically decided, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to work for anybody else, right? You know, live or die or succeed or fail. I, I have to get in the batter's box and take a swing. And so he kind of whittled me down over time. So this is like in May. I was going through the process I just described some soul searching, some figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, kind of assessing like, is the goal that I thought I wanted, you know, working for this big law firm, you know, is, is that what I really want? Um, and throughout that process, studying for the bar, everything like that, he kind of chipped away at me. He was like, first thing he was said is, Hey, I'll give you your, you can have your name first on the, on the firm. But he basically said, Hey, look, I'm doing this no matter what, whether you want to do it with me or not, but it'd be great to do it together. Um, and so, as through this process, studying for the bar, going and job hunting, like I said, I was feeling, I was feeling a little lost. I was kind of like, well, what, what do I want to do? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to go with this? And, you know, I, I ended up kind of getting so, um, I don't know if frustrated is words, but nothing was getting me really fired up. And I was like, I got to get out of here. I, I was like, I can't be in this bubble of thinking about jobs and law. And so, you know, I'd always been very, very conservative with my money. had never had a credit card, but I was like, fuck it. I'm out of here, dude. I went, I took out a new credit card, maxed it out, going to Greece by myself for two weeks. And I basically like sat on the beach in the Greek islands, drinking wine and smoking cigarettes with the locals, like never smoked cigarettes in my life. But I was like, well, I'm going to just dive in and be kind of like a Greek person for two weeks. in Rome. So yeah. (laughs) Uh, And so went over there and I remember thinking about it. I couldn't stop thinking about doing this, like diving in. Um, you know, with my best bud and, and going like swinging for the fences. And I came back and I was still like, I was pretty, pretty certain, but I remember I couldn't, I almost couldn't sleep for a week because I was thinking about it so much. Like I'm talking, you know, three hours of sleep over the course of a week. And it was like, all right, this is something, something's, something's here. Right. And so then we, you know, like I said, it's this long process from when you graduate to when you actually get sworn in. So once I decided, Hey, that was, went to 
Greece end of September of 2017. Uh, we were getting sworn in. We got our bar results beginning of October. Um, we both passed. That was great. Um, so about right about that time is when I decided, Hey, let's, let's go for this. Um, and so then when both of our families came out for the swearing in, it was really cool. We had like a big, like dinner all together. It was like probably 20 of us, his family, my family, our closest friends. And we announced that we were going to start the firm. And it was, it was cool because of how supportive people were, right? I mean, when you, anybody who's been to law school could tell you, I mean, excuse my language, but a lot of people at the law firm, at the law school were shitting their pants thinking of like two people starting their own firm right out of law school because they're, you know, they don't want you to fail and kind of put a bad light on the school. They don't, you know, they understand, Hey, you've been taking out loans, things like that. And so there wasn't much encouragement. I would say from anybody related with the law school, basically everybody told us not to do it, that we were crazy, that, um, this just couldn't be done. Right. And it so their, um, their placement numbers like, right. After, yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, and lawyers are so risk averse. Right. And so, um, and I want to, I want to stress that point because I think for anybody who's thinking about doing this, like it's not to say neglect advice, neglect input and things like that. But like I've always said, it's like, I've never seen a brick wall that I couldn't run through. I don't, I'm never going to take what somebody tell. If somebody tells me that I can't do something, that means I'm definitely going to do it. Right. I mean, it's like when people say, Hey, this isn't smart or this isn't what it is. It was like, well, you know, I appreciate that you think that, but that's, you know, that's, for you, right? I'm, you don't know what I have and what we have and, and what we can do. Um, and so I just say that to say, you know, over the last five years, I mean, I've, I've become such a believer that you can do anything you set your mind to. Um, but kind of circling back to the story. Sorry. So, so we have this big dinner, we announce it and it was, I mean, it was, it was magical. I remember, you know, got sworn on October 30th. We went to a coffee shop. We're we were still living together. November 3rd, 2017, we sat down, we formed Troxel Fitch LLC. We put together our operating documents. And then it was kind of like, what the fuck do we do, right? Like, we, you know, we've never owned a business before. Nobody in our families has ever owned a business before. Like, how are we going to do this? And so we sat down and we developed kind of an approach where it was like, okay, so what's paramount is that, you know, over time, we become experts in law, right? We're not just selling shit legal documents to people who, you know, because we're good salesmen. It's like, how do we become true experts? So the way we looked at it is, hey, we basically, because we're starting something right out of law school, we need to kind of build our own associateship. So I, you know, we had made a ton of relationships with other attorneys who kind of do the work that we, and sorry, just to rewind a little, we always knew we wanted to do entrepreneurial law. So we wanted to help businesses form, grow and sell. And so from the beginning, we've always been a law firm built by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. And so we wanted to be able to help businesses at all stages of the life cycle from formation to exit, everything in between, whether, you know, they're, they're, they're raising money, whether they're buying and selling, whether they're signing leases, buying real estate, Really anything with fine print, we'd want to help those small, small businesses. But we understood from the beginning, you know, people aren't hiring two guys out of law school with no experience to do their $10 million securities raise, right? So how do we learn how to do that? How do we learn to be experts? And so we basically broke up 
are pursued into three buckets. We had take any work, legal work we can get because you realize pretty quickly that legal work pays better than driving Lyft. When we first started the firm, we were working in the firm, you know, six to six a.m. to three, and then going and hopping in the lift and driving till ten p.m. to keep the lights on, because you know it, it's just any any like any entrepreneur story, right? We didn't have anybody who could back us with money. We had, you know, we didn't have any money. I was twenty five; he was twenty six. I mean, we didn't have anything. We, we, we all we had it was a dream. So we drove Lyft and, and we did, uh, we did a ton of like consumer debtor defense work. So people getting sued by their credit card companies. Um, and that was, you know, we never wanted to be litigators. I actually still laugh. There was one day, the one time we had to go to actually court because we couldn't negotiate the settlement. I had to email a mentor who's a judge and say, Hey, do I actually have to wear a suit to court? Or is that just, you, you just usually, is that just best practice? Because I was like, Hey, I, I don't own a suit right now. I don't have a suit. I can't afford to buy a suit. And uh, it was funny because he was like, well, yeah. And so I had to go to like a Goodwill and get, you know, I walked into court wearing a pinstripe suit jacket with brown pants. Um, and I mean, probably looked like shit. The judge was probably like, who is this schmuck? But, uh, you know, th- those are the things that kind of keep you hard, right? But so anyway, circling back. So that was the first bucket. It was right. It was like, Hey, we got to start doing more legal work because this is how we're going to keep the lights on. Then we had the second bucket, which was, all right, how do we become experts? And so that was, hey, you know, finding these other attorneys that we had built these relationships with. Um, you know, some of those being just shout out, you know, Stan Doida, Trevor Crow, Rehan Hassan, uh, many others. I'm probably forgetting Julian is Bicky. Many others that I'm probably forgetting, but people who really, really helped us along the way, Jay Camlet. Um, so we would do work for them where, hey, maybe they had extra legal work, but they weren't, you know, they couldn't hire somebody as an employee, right? They just had, you know, legal work that from time to time they needed help with. So we approached them and we said, hey, look, you know, we'll do this for a very reduced rate, you know probably 45, 50 bucks an hour. Oh, and I forgot to mention Rob Keating, another attorney at Boulder. He was really the, really one of the first guys who, who helped us out a lot as well. But we basically went to them and we would do work at 45, 50 bucks an hour, which is very low for an attorney. I mean, maybe for non-lawyers, that sounds still a little bit high, but you know, a lot of lawyers, even right out of law school, you're going at 250 bucks an hour or something like that. Right? And so we would do the work for this very reduced rate with the understanding that, hey, what, what we really want is your feedback, right? We want some money to just keep things coming in. You know, we're not going to be able to work as volunteers, but what we really want is the feedback. And we found that it, you know, people will give, you get that real experience and that real feedback when people have a vested interest, when it's their money on the line, when it's their reputation, they're going to rip your shit to shreds. And that's what we wanted. We craved that constructive feedback. We didn't fear it. We didn't take it personally. We didn't say, Hey, I know this. We knew we didn't know it. And we wanted our work ripped to shreds. We wanted to be go, run through the gauntlet so that we could be the best attorneys that we could be. And so that was our kind of middle bucket. Um, you know, over the, we probably really pushed those first two buckets hard the first, you know, three, four years. We've really kind of phased those out at this point, just because now we're, you know, 60 year attorneys were, we're really good at legal work from, from doing that. And then the third bucket was always just normal work, right? Hey, how do we find 
small businesses? How do we find this kind of legal work? And we, we didn't know. So we really just said, like I said, we've always worked best with lofty goals. We said, we we made an agreement. Both Josh and I are a little bit kind of old school um, in terms of like, Hey, like there are certain things like you stick to your word, you, you know, you do what you tell people you're going to do really kind of honorable, you know, that, that means a lot to us. And so we made commitments to each other that first year of, Hey, how are we going to get work? And again, keep in mind, we had no clue. We had no idea really how to get legal work. Right. But we said, Hey, we're going to just be anywhere and everywhere that small business owners are. And we're going to just go out there. We're going to meet people. We're going to hear about what, what they're dealing with, what their problems are. We're going to build relationships and we're going to see who we can help, who we can build relationships with, who, who, you know, really just shaking hands and kissing babies. And we were anywhere and everywhere. We made a commitment that we were each going to do 150 networking events that first year. So 300 total. So that's about three a week. Um, and so we did you know, three kind of networking events a year. And that was an event, right? That doesn't count individual coffees or drinks with individuals. I'm talking about going to network after work or the chamber of commerce or, you know, BNI, all those different things. And what I would say is that was so huge for us, not even so much in terms of work that we generated or connections that we made, but I think that a lot of people convince themselves that entrepreneurship is a born skill set. And I think it is a learned skill set. Being able to go into a room and work a room and break into conversations and connect with people and being able to, um, you know, refine your elevator pitch and all these things, right? I think it's very much a learned skill. So that first year, that 2018, you know, it was tough going. It was, it was real tough. I mean, you know, living in Denver and making like 27 grand for the year, it is not, you know, it, it, it goes quick trying to put money back into the business, things like that. But I mean, thinking back on it, it's like, we didn't know any different, right? I mean, we were eating canned beans and ramen noodles and it all seemed gravy to us. We were still living together, just two, two guys with, with nothing but a dream. Things started kind of picking up. 2019, we were able to really phase out some of those, especially that first bucket of just doing kind of non-business legal work. So 29 kind of started to pick up. I'd really say 2020, the beginning of 2020 is when we kind of hit that proverbial tipping point where all the efforts that we had put in really started to come to fruition. We moved from a co-working space to an actual uh, kind of more office building. We quadrupled our fixed expenses. We moved in there February 1st, 2020. And then the world shuts down March 12th, 2020. And, uh, it was, it was nervy. Um, there were times where we weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, but well, I mean, and, and keep in mind, we were still living together at this time. So we're owning a business together. We're living together. We're really just figuring it out as we go. We quadruple our fixed expenses. The first time we've really ever made a big expense increase for our um, law firm. The world shuts down. Our phone stops ringing for eight weeks. We don't know what's going to happen. And we pushed through. Uh, we kept kind of st- stuck to our roots, pounding the pavement and providing five-star work, right? I mean, that's the best thing you can do is treat the, the people who trust you to work with them. You, you put your all in. 
and sometimes, you know, things happen and, you know, but as long as I feel like you always put your heart in the right place, you're always willing to give people out five-star service, things work out. Um, and yeah, so, so we kind of bounced back and basically since the middle of 2020, it's been really just a continuous climb. Um, you know, and it's funny, we actually ended up living together because of the pandemic until like, uh, May of 2022. And then we were kind of like, all right, we're two grown men. We probably should get our own places. And I, I laugh cause it's like, I would bet from that, from the beginning of the pandemic until, uh, we moved out. It's like, we probably spent more time together than any two people in the world, like owning a business together, living together. I mean, it was, it was, uh, but it's crazy because, you know, we, uh, you know, it, it, I think that's what kind of carries us through the tough times is we just have such a good friendship and such an understanding of, 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 you know, what the, the vision and what we're trying to achieve when he has a down day, I'm at, you know, usually having an up day, vice versa, right? We, we help each other. And so I just kind of plug that to say, Entrepreneurship on entrepreneurship is going to be hard no matter what. Finding a good partner can make it um, a lot easier. And so, you know, we've continued to work, try to just continue to provide great legal work to people in the Denver community. And um, that's the 40 minute uh, uh, backstory. <laughs> I love it. That was inspiring to say the least. And I appreciate the honesty in a lot of ways because you didn't sugarcoat anything. And I like the way that you kind of were vulnerable about the times when you were driving Lyft because you weren't really sure what was going to go on or how you were going to pay the next uh, the next bill that came through. But one thing really struck a chord with me, and that was your, I guess, habit of setting really lofty goals, going to Yale or going to USC or whatever the, you know, uh, lofty goal is. I'm curious, is that something that you learned at a young age that like internally, did you read that somewhere? And then I guess, how has that helped you in other areas of your life? Cause I think with my listener group, that would be something that I think would resonate with them really well about not only striving to achieve the daily task that you set your mind to, but also dreaming big. A lot of times with entrepreneurship, you fall victim to not seeing it happen quickly enough and not being patient enough. And so you're scared to set as lofty of a goal as maybe you could finally achieve one day. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of came from a couple of places. I mean, it kind of is something that developed over time. Um, I mean, definitely a huge, huge influence was always my parents. I mean, I had, I mean, the best parents, I mean, just always believed in me. Right. And, and, you know, it was like one of those things where, you know, I, I don't think either, you know, maybe right at the end of their careers, but it's like, I don't know if my either, I don't think either of my parents ever even made six figures. Right. But they were always so committed to, you know, my brother and I's growth and being there for us and believing in us. And, uh, you know, I were just, just to the extent of, I mean, you know, they always believed in us so much. It made it easy to kind of think of, Hey, what are those goals? And, 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 you know, I don't know if I could pinpoint where it started, but that was always the way I've been where it's just kind of, Hey, you know, I, I've never believed that I couldn't do anything. Um, and I think it was just, you know, 
the more that you believe in that and the more that you have people surround you, surrounding you that can reinforce that ability to, to kind of push through. I mean, I remember, you know, my, 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 my dad for most of my life kind of traveled five days a week. And I remember, you know, even if we were up till, you know, midnight one watching Monday night football or Sunday night football or whatever it was, right. He would still be up at, you know, catching a 4 a.m. flight to go fly out for the week. And so, you know, it just really taught me that kind of ability to always put on your game face and handle your business and, and work towards something. Um, but in terms of like that idea of, you know, shooting high and you'll end up somewhere good. You know, I don't know if there was a specific moment. There is a, I think it's Will Smith who said it though, actually, where he talks about when you, when you have those huge goals, it's just about laying one perfect brick a day, right? You just come in and you make sure that brick you lay for that day is perfect. And you come in every day and you lay a perfect brick. And the next thing you know, one foot in front of the other, day after day after day, 10 years, you got a castle, right? And so I, I and I would just reiterate, I mean, I think perseverance is the number one factor to success in um, entrepreneurship. You know, perseverance consistently executing, just hanging in there and just continuing to, to work towards things. If you do that, I, I, I truly believe there's nothing that you can't do. I mean, I've started to notice that with the podcast itself, because we're obviously not Joe Rogan with a hundred million dollar contract on Spotify, but our viewership was our listenership was almost zero at the beginning, right? Because I started this venture about a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago. And so when I start out the podcast, the readers from my blog didn't transfer over as quickly as I had originally thought that they would, or even at all for that matter, just didn't connect the dots there like I thought it would happen. And so it was building it from the ground up and I would do little spurts where my day job would get really busy. And so I wouldn't post for a few weeks or a few months. And then I'd get back into it and I'd post all the time. And for the past like three months, I've been extremely consistent in posting every single week, sometimes twice a week. And you can count on one every Monday or Tuesday, there's a new episode coming out. And I've seen the same happen with my social media following, even though I don't have a huge social media following personally, the podcast has finally taken a little turn. It's not like we shot skyrocketed to the moon, but it was enough to give me that spark of energy again to keep me going. Because after three months, we went from, we doubled our listenership just like in a heartbeat. And so it took like one great episode, just shot everybody up. Our subscribers went through the roof. And now I actually have a real business here. I've got my credit card or my business cards coming in the mail this week. So we've got like a legitimate entrepreneurship running. So hopefully it works out, <laughs> but Hey, if you, if you keep at it, it will. We'll see how it all plays out. I think you hit the nail on the head because a lot of times people struggle with being consistent, myself included. I've talked about it on a previous episode that 99% of people fail at the execution stage. It's easy to plan and dream and go through the motions. But then when you actually have time or it's time to execute on it and action on the plan that you created, everybody freezes. They get scared. They're not able to follow through or they do it kind of haphazardly and 
halfway through it, they burn out or they're not interested because it's not happening as quickly as they think it will. And so I, I definitely, definitely see where you're coming from on that one. And I think it's really cool to hear that success stories happen. That's why I have people on like this because it'll inspire someone to keep going. And I, I hope that it does at least for the listeners. One thing that I want to kind of dive a little deeper into is if you have any advice for someone that just isn't ready to take that jump yet, you know, you kind of mentioned how there was a big defining moment in your partner's life that, you know, put him in the mindset of this is it. I'm going to go for it all or nothing kind of deal. You took some time off right after and flew to Greece and had a vacation to clear your mind. You had a few weeks afterwards where you really had some soul searching and thought through it. What would you say to someone that just can't really take that next step um, to pursue what they really want to pursue in life? I know with the young America starting out in the corporate world, it's very enticing with the consistent paycheck. And so being able to draw yourself away from that to pursue what it is that you really want to do to start that business or whatever it may be, how would you suggest people navigate coming to terms with what they're going to you know, embark on? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do is is think of, you know, what is failure? Because in my opinion, you only fail if you quit. You only fail if you stop moving forward. You only fail if you quit putting one foot in front of the other. So when you think about it like that, it's like, well, what are what are you afraid of? If you have this if you have this idea inside of your head, if you have this passion, if you have this thing that you want to move towards and you can put in 18 months to two years and the possibility is that you'll have a life, you will build a life for yourself that's beyond your wildest dreams. How could you not take that attempt in the batter's box if the only failure you're thinking of is, well, I can go back to work in that corporate job anyway. Sure, you lose maybe a couple of, years of money or whatever it is, but, but there's always going to be time to make more money. I think, especially for young people, what I would stress is, you know, if you're willing to work hard for somebody else, making money is not going to be that hard. And I don't need to sound, you know, I don't mean to, you know, downplay that, Hey, you know, making money is super important, but if, if you're willing to work hard, people will pick you up and, and let you build their dreams for them, right? And so what I would just tell people who are on the fence is reconsider what failure is. If that's, what's, if that's what you're afraid of, if you're afraid that you might fail, that it might not work out the way you want it to, just think about failure in a different way. Because even if you go into it and you spend those two years and you don't, you know, you, you don't have the success, you realize, hey, this isn't for me. I like the consistency. Well, then you'll know when you're laying on your deathbed and you're you're thinking about what your life was like. You're not going to have that regret of what things could have been if you if you bet on yourself, right? And I would say that most people who 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 push their chips in and they're willing to bet on themselves and they're really willing to go in and they're putting it that perfect brick a day, it usually ends up working out. That was for me, right? I knew that I couldn't lay on my deathbed and think about what life could have been like if I would have been willing to bet on myself. And so that was like where we got to, where it was like, what is failure, right? If this doesn't work out, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out something else. I can always go back and work for someone else. I can always do those things. But, but the way I looked at failure was, well, I, I only fail if I quit, right? I only fail if I give up. 
That's the only way that you really fail. Everything else is a lesson. I love that. And I think that's really going to mean something to a lot of people. I think when you look at your life on the broad spectrum, as opposed to just what's directly in front of you, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions like that, to take those chances or to strive for that bigger goal. But when you are so focused on the here and the now, sometimes you get caught up by these blinders of not being able to see the bigger picture. You know, one, two, three, four years in the big scheme of things where it'll be a rebuilding phase, you know, that could eventually turn into something that'll create the life that you said you always wanted, you know, like you were just mentioning. It reminds me of something another you know, very great, you know, kind of mentor said to me and he called it and I don't know if he took this from somewhere or not, but it was the first time I had heard it and it was the the thousand day rule. And he basically said, if you're trying to take the chance on creating that business, for instance, a thousand days is what it's going to take of putting in consistent work before you get back to where you're at right now. No matter where you're at right now, depending on your skill level, the compensation you make, whatever it is, it'll be a thousand days before you get to that point. And he said he's seen it. He's given that advice to other people and he's seen it in practice that about that thousand day mark, it kind of clicks and it's like, wow, like it took me this long and now I'm finally back at where I was. And then from there, everything's not consistently uphill, but you're at the point where you're comfortable with, okay, I, I can do this forever now. I, I can do this for the long haul because you've proven to yourself that I can get back to where I was when I jumped ship from whatever corporate world or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I saw I like your, you light up. I didn't know if that was something you'd heard before too or, or what, but. I haven't heard that specifically, but I, I do like that one. Um, another one and I, another actually quote that a mentor told me that I really liked that I think kind of lends itself to your previous question about people who are afraid to dive in. He told me, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And so I think the, to me, why that resonated with me is when you're in these positions in your life where you're not sure what the next step should be, when you're not sure what direction you should go in, figuring out where you're headed is the first key, right? What does your life look like? What do you want? What do you want? You know what I mean? What do you want your life to be? And really think about that because I don't know how many people really think about that. Do you want a family? Do you want kids? Do you want to not have kids? Do you want a big boat? Do you want to live in, you know, Hawaii? Whatever it is, right? You got to really drill down and have that vision about what does my life look like? If I think about everything going perfectly, what does that look like? And once you have that vision, Every step you take is going to be one, easier to know you're headed in the right direction. And two, you're going to be more inspired because every brick you lay every day, every late night, because it's going to be tough. When we talk about execution, that's not, you know, you know, work in a couple hours, you know, it, it's hard work. I mean, I pretty, you know, we work sun up to sundown. We probably still work more than we need to, but it's been so drilled into us, right? It's, there are going to be times where you feel like, you know, like all the lessons you can learn from failure are great. But when you're in the moment, it doesn't feel well. It doesn't feel very good, right? When you're at your lows, you got to have these things to hang on to to push through because you're going to have incredible highs as well. But if you have that vision, if you know that every step you take is working towards that vision, it's going to really help you know 
it's going to be your guiding light, right? It's going to be your North star that you know that, Hey, I'm, I'm working towards this. I'm, I'm, everything I'm doing is for this, whatever that is for you. I think finding that North star can make all the difference, finding it, committing to it. That'll make it happen. I'm curious though. And I know we've got a busy day. I don't want to keep too much of your time, but I want to know what's next. What's, you know, you've, you've put in all this work. You gave us the rundown of everything you strive to get to and to where you are right now. What's the goals for the next year, five years, 10 years, you know, looking into the future, what's on the agenda for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think at this point, we've really laid a great uh, foundation for our firm. We've built, we've built something that's really great. But what we're starting to notice now, you know, we're about six years in. Um, you know, I'm 31. Josh has turned 33 this year. Um, we're starting to see, hey, okay, now, now we've found the money. Now we've found, hey, we're, we're making a lot, you know, a lot more money than we thought. And we have this good business. We're helping a ton of people. And now it's like, okay, how do we start getting some of our time back? Right. How do we start now shifting a little bit more towards building the business underneath us? Cause right now it's just the two of us. We have uh, Paige, who who is an awesome, probably the best thing that happened to our business, who kind of handles marketing and intake and billing. And so, but we're a small team, right? And so the next move, I think over the next five years is really figuring out how we build a team, how we build things to where we're not the only ones who are executing the legal work, because it's, we're, we're getting busy enough now that it, you know, it, it's a lot, it, it's a lot of time spent and we're not, you know, we're happy to put in that hard work, but when you start thinking about having your own family and things like that, you know, I, my folks were always there at my football games, hockey games, things like that. Right. I know I always want to do that whenever that day comes for me. Right. Um, and so, you know, I know I'll want to have hobbies and travel. So I think over the next five years, it's really about reclaiming our time and, and our lives not that we haven't thoroughly enjoyed the last five years up to this point, but we're just getting to the point where it's like, yeah, you know, working 16 hour days forever is probably not what we want forever. Right? And so having a mind towards how do we build a team? How do we build processes or, you know, how do we just optimize things better to where we're not um, having to work in the business so relentlessly and we can do things working on the business. So I think that's really five years. Um, you know, in 10 years, I think it's really about diversifying potentially even outside of the law, right? I mean, I don't think that either Josh or I saw ourselves as solely attorneys. We're still entrepreneurs at heart. And I don't know exactly what that looks like in terms of starting or helping with other businesses. But that's, uh, I think that's the longer term goal is to have, to build the firm to a point where we can take on more of a high level executive role, um, you know, do more client interaction, things like that, just kind of, and then have other people do the actual legal work and then eventually kind of diversify to the point where, um, you know, we're, we have the firm as well as other kind of ventures going. Um, so with the end goal being, I think the same as many people, right? How do I work less and make more? <laughs> That's the goal, right? That's the motto. <laughs> well, 
Nick, it's been absolutely awesome. Maybe, maybe you. a maybe a Ferrari F fifty too. Hey. Right? Is that too much to ask for? You know, I'm not going to complain if one shows up. There's, you know, here in Dallas, I uh, I love that my apartment complex is in a nice neighborhood, a little bit outside of like the actual city itself. I'm like 10 minutes outside of downtown. And when I think about all of the neighbors around me that don't live in the apartment complex and have these gorgeous homes and cars and whatever else, you know, materialistic things that they have, I uh, I'm a big runner. And so every day I go run and when I go run, I run by all these houses and there's a house with a clear garage door and he's got his Maserati parked in it. And there's like an underglow light in the garage built into the floor where you can like, it lights up his car. If you're like, if it's night or early morning or something. And, um, it's inspiring to say the least. I don't know that I'll ever, you know, maybe one day I'll have a Maserati. I don't know, but it, it keeps the motivation going where it's like, all right, like now I can go about my work day and do it. <laughs> you know, I can focus now. I think, you know, I think he just probably added some, something extra to somebody's vision. That's listening. Right. When we're talking about thinking of the vision, I think you probably put, put a little tidbit for somebody. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> um, well, Nick, Hey, it's been Absolutely fantastic talking to you. I wish we, you know, we should continue the conversation another time. If I ever make it up to see you in Colorado, I would love to get together and uh, grab some lunch or something. But if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about you or your firm or whatever it may be, um, where would you point them? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll keep it simple. The best way to get in touch with us is go to our website, www.troxelfitchlaw.com. And and there you'll find the phone number, the, the email to get the submission going. That's going to be the best way to, we do offer free 15 minute phone calls for people to just talk about, Hey, could we be a good fit to help you out? Um, so please feel free to reach out via the website. Um, and we'll, we can get that lined up. Um, All right. I will tag it, it in the show notes uh, so that everybody can have it right there if they want to click on it. But Nick, I appreciate it so much. I, uh, I'll give you Absolutely, back yeah. your day, but thank you so much for being on, man. Thank, yeah. Thank you for having me. And I would be remiss to not mention the nuggets just made the finals. So go nuggets. We're <laughs> excited here in Denver. We might have back to back years at the parade. We love seeing the avalanche win it last year. So, um, go nugs. Uh, that's exciting. I, we watched the stars game last night here in Dallas. And so I'm hoping that it might have been a fluke. They were down 3-0. Now they're only down 3-1. It's not, it wouldn't be the first time a 3-0 comeback has happened in the NHL, so you never know. But we'll see. Anyways, thanks, Joe. Or thanks, Nick. I'm like an addict. Do I gotta have it? I ain't even playing. Got a really bad habit. If it moves, gotta grab it. Fuse like a magnet. Lose won't have it till I'm doomed in a cat.